just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Thursday. And uh, it's been a busy week up to this point. We've been hearing about this situation down in Arizona where Carrie Lake was beaten by Katie Hobbs. And now there's one county in Arizona that doesn't want to certify the election, which doesn't make a lot of sense because if their votes don't end up being counted, uh, a Republican candidate for Congress is likely to lose the race. And that particular county voted for Kerry Lake. So I don't quite understand what's going on there and why they intend to do it. It's just about owning the libtards. But here's the thing. What they're doing is causing the Secretary of State, who is the governor-elect, Katie Hobbs, to sue them. But that's not even the big part of this. You see, what they're doing is illegal, according to the U.S. Constitution and the Arizona Constitution. So they could be up for criminal charges. And they've got to go to court here, at least for the lawsuit, sometime shortly. And they went to um, the county's legal representation. And the guy said, yeah, fuck no, I can't help you. What you're doing is illegal. Then they tried to get the lawyer who represented the cyber ninjas, you know, the guys who fucking lost everything. They tried to get him as a lawyer, and he says, no, 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 I'm not touching that. So these people want to commit a crime. They want to prove a point, but they have to go to court, and they can't even find a fucking lawyer. I suspect they will back out of this by Friday, and uh, everything will be normal. There is nothing they can gain in this whole thing. And at some point, somebody's got to say, yeah, it's cool if you want to own the libtards, but you're going to go to jail. You're going to get sued. And Carrie Lake isn't going to be governor, and you may lose a congressional seat. (laughs) I mean, how fucking smart do you have to be to think that, hey, this is not a winning proposition. Maybe we should not do this. It's hilarious when you see some of the things that people will do just to prove a point. A point, no less, that isn't true, that can't be proven because it's a fucking fallacy. So we've got Cochise County in Arizona who doesn't want to certify the election. And if they get their way, (laughs) they're going to lose the congressional seat, not help Kerry Lake at all. They're going to get sued and they may go to jail. So... I don't know what to tell you. I've said before many times, Republicans are fucking stupid. They think they can bully their way through anything. But these folks are going to fuck around and find out. That's why I think they'll back out of it slowly and quietly, at least try to be quiet about it. And uh, they'll certify the election. Actually, I kind of hope they don't. Because it's not really going to change anything, except the Democrats may get another congressional seat. So I can't believe they'd be that stupid. But they seem pretty set on it. I mean, even after going through yesterday and not being able to secure a lawyer that would be willing to work with them, you would think, you know, maybe we ought to rethink this. But (laughs) they're still working on this shit. So it's going to be entertaining nonetheless. Now, you remember that uh, um, the Supreme Court told Donald Trump, yeah, you have to turn over your taxes. Donald Trump has been fucking around trying to protect and hide his taxes for six years. The last two to three years, he's been in court. He kept losing in court, in appellate courts, until he took it to the Supreme Court thinking he's going to win and the Ways and Means Committee, the Democrats, would never get to see his taxes. 
And of course, the Supreme Court said, yeah, now we're not going to listen to that. You've got to turn them over. So we heard about this about a week ago. Got some good news for you. The House Ways and Means Committee now has access to six years of former President Donald Trump's tax returns after a three-year battle to obtain them. Now, the committee won access to the material from the Treasury Department last Wednesday after the U.S. Supreme Court rejected Trump's final appeal on November 22nd, according to the Treasury Department. Treasury has complied with last week's court decision, a Treasury official said. Now, it's interesting. We were wondering how quickly this would all take place. You know, everything in fucking government takes forever. So this took a week. It probably shouldn't have taken a week. Supreme Court says turn it over. The Treasury Department's right there in fucking Washington. How long does it take to turn it over? Well, we know now it takes about a week. And the big problem for the Ways and Means Committee is they've got access to these taxes. But um, come January 3rd, the Republicans will take over and then they will just try to hide all of that. Now, legally speaking, they can't just get this stuff and make it go public. However, there are some machinations they can go through to make it go public, and I'm not sure how they pull that off. I don't know if they present it or whatever they do, but you can expect they're probably going to do that. And one of the things that uh, I suggested a while back is we might start seeing some leaks I mean, the Washington Post got a lot of their tax information, and uh, leaking is a thing in Washington, D.C. I mean, we know the Supreme Court has problems with leakers. Why not the Ways and Means Committee? I have a feeling, too, the DOJ is going to want to see this. I mean, they're looking at Uh, Donald Trump and these top secret documents and possibly them going to foreign countries. The DOJ is going to want to see this because if he's getting money from some of these foreign countries, that tells us a lot. Now, winning the ability to examine Trump's tax returns brings to a close a legal fight And this began when the Ways and Means Committee Chair Richard Neal, a Democrat from Massachusetts, asked the Treasury Department in April of 2019, while Trump was still the president, to hand over then-president's tax returns under a law that allows congressional tax writing committees to obtain tax returns for its investigation. See, that's the thing. Uh, The Ways and Means Committee can get anybody's taxes. They can get my taxes, they can get your taxes, and they certainly can get Donald Trump's taxes. Unless you have a lot of money and a lot of clout in government, you can delay this shit. Now, Donald Trump, for some reason, thinks that he can delay it away forever, and he can't. And he's now seeing some of these things come to hit him in the face, like this tax situation. Now, Trump was the first major party presidential nominee since Nixon not to publicly disclose their taxes while running for office or while in office. Tax returns can tell you information about a taxpayer's income, how much tax they paid in a given year. Trump has been accused of underpaying his taxes using some suspicious accounting. And, of course, that's being talked about uh, in the Manhattan District in the court case against the Trump Organization and uh, by Letitia James, the attorney general in New York, in her civil case. We've talked about this before. He'd always claimed that his properties were worth more when he was talking about getting loans and insurance situations. But then he'd always say they were much less valued when he was paying taxes. Well, that is fraud, tax fraud, bank fraud, insurance fraud. And surprisingly, that's all fucking illegal. And that's how Donald Trump did business. Now, a longstanding federal law grants the the U.S. president, law enforcement agencies, and certain congressional committees, like the Ways and Means Committee, the right to request anyone's private tax information. 
Trump's attorneys, of course, claimed in court that the law was unconstitutional and that the Democrats had no legitimate reason for the, fear, uh, for the material. Now, they knew they were wrong. They knew that they wouldn't be able to keep this out of the hands of people forever. No federal court that they took it to agreed with Donald Trump. He kept losing and he kept appealing. So he knew it was going to come to pass. All he was trying to do is run out the clock. And in this last stretch, he was really trying to run out the clock and, and make it so it didn't happen till after January so the Republicans could do what they do and just fucking cover it up. Now, we don't know what the Democrats are going to do with it next. They control the House of Representatives only till January 3rd. So that doesn't give them much time to do much with it. I mean, you're not going to have hearings and investigations, because that could go months or a year. And that's going to be too short a time. So what happens? Do they turn it over to the Senate? Do they just make it all public? If they want to make it all public, then they're going to have to go through a little process there, and I don't even know what it is. Uh, But that would be the cool thing. Make it public, let the media have at it, and let all of us know what's going to happen. Uh, Neil said, I intend to see this through when he was asked if he'd submit information from the returns to the full house this year. So if he's going to expose it to the full house, then he better fucking hurry. Because after January 3rd, he's probably not going to have this option. I guess the good news here is that Donald Trump lost again that his taxes will be available. And because there's such a short time that the Democrats have power in the House, that's why I'm thinking that, oopsie, there may be some leaks. That wouldn't surprise me. Now, they're going to have to be very careful about this because Donald Trump will scream like a stuck pig, and then there'll be other litigation. But, of course, they've got to find the leaker. And we know how much trouble the Supreme Court has had with finding leakers. So who knows what's going to happen? I mean, you leave these things on the car seat of your car and somebody steals them. I mean, that could happen. That could fucking happen. So the bottom line here is I hope we, the people, the public, get a chance to see what's going on. I think it's important that we know. Now, we're hearing that Donald Trump lost almost as much as a billion dollars in just two years. That's the rumor going around. Now, how does a guy that continually loses money end up being a billionaire? There's only two answers to that question. He's lying or he's getting an influx of money from outside this country. Say the Russians through Deutsche Bank. Say the Saudi Arabians. We know he's already getting money from the Saudi Arabians. Two billion to uh, Jared Kushner, his son-in-law. We know he's currently working on a deal to build some fucking tower or something in Saudi Arabia to the tune of $4 billion. So we know there are people from the outside helping him out. I mean, he loves to say how Joe Biden is compromised by China, but I'll guarantee you. There's some Chinese money in there, too, with Donald Trump. Donald Trump will take money from anybody and everybody willing to hand it to him. And for the life of me, I don't understand, because all this motherfucker does is lose money. So you have to assume the only reason they give him money is for influence. And if he's taking money and trading influence for it, again, we're talking about the Espionage Act. And that's how these top-secret documents tie in. This is going to be a final bit of information that tells us what is actually going on with Donald Trump. And I can almost guarantee you it's not going to be good. It's not going to help Donald Trump. If it did, he wouldn't be trying to hide it for as long as he did. So we'll see what happens. Now, when we're waiting to see what happens on a number of things when it comes to Donald Trump and Republicans. Of course, we're waiting to hear what's happening with the DOJ. And Merrick Garland, he normally stays away from the spotlight. 
So it was kind of unusual to see attorney, the attorney general taking somewhat of a victory lap yesterday. Yeah, he stood up. He spoke to the crowd. He spoke on television. He talked about a lot of stuff, but he was specifically pointed at uh, this recent case where um, Elmer um, Stewart Rhodes and uh, Kelly Meggs from the Oath Keepers were both convicted of seditious conspiracy. Now, this is a big deal. It's been a long while, long, long while since somebody's been convicted of seditious conspiracy. That's a hard case to make. But they did make it on two occasions with these two um, defendants. And this is a big deal because it sets a precedent, you know. It tells us that a judge and a jury and a court found there was some seditious conspiracy. And why this is exciting for the uh, Department of Justice is because there were other people involved. The precedence has been set. There was some seditious conspiracy. We have convictions of seditious conspiracy. So when you're looking at other people, whether it be Donald Trump or sitting members of Congress or some outsiders like Roger Stone or Ginny Thomas, they're going to have a problem because they were involved too. And it's conceivable that they could be or at least uh, indicted for seditious conspiracy. Now, seditious conspiracy is no small crime. That's a maximum 20-year term. Now, whether they get the maximum or not doesn't really make a difference. You can almost bet they're going to get more than 10 at the very least. In 10 years for Donald Trump, some of these sitting members of Congress, Jenny Thomas and or Roger Stone, that's a long fucking time. So after his Department of Justice handed down the most severe convictions in the January 6th investigation to the Oath Keepers, against Stuart Rhodes and Kelly Meggs. There were three other co-conspirators that didn't get seditious conspiracy, but they all five of them got obstruction. So that's another 20-year sentence. So regardless of what they're convicted of, they're going to be doing some time, all five of them. And that obstruction part of it is important too. Because even if they can't get somebody in Congress or Trump, even if they can't get them on seditious conspiracy, the obstruction situation is there. And that's just as damning and just as, uh, just as hard a time. Now, Rhodes, here's the interesting thing. Elmer Stewart Rhodes is a Yale Law School graduate who lost his license to practice law. He was found guilty Tuesday on the most serious charge, seditious conspiracy, following a two-month trial. And they only had three days of deliberations. The jury didn't take long to come up with this result. Now, Rhodes' co-defendant, Kelly Meggs, was also found guilty of seditious conspiracy. Both men, as I say, The maximum penalty is 20 years. The three others charged along with them were acquitted of seditious conspiracy, but all five were charged with obstruction for their attempt to prevent Joe Biden's certification as president. And that's a big fucking deal. Not only for them, not only in this particular case, but in future cases. These convictions were the result of a tireless work by the Justice Department agents, attorneys, analysts, and support staff. In January 2021, with a methodical collection of evidence and continuing through the presentation of the evidence during the seven-week trial that began in October, Garland told reporters gathered at the Justice Department. This is what he said. Our work yesterday marked significant successes, Garland said on Wednesday. The seditious conspiracy convictions made clear that DOJ will hold accountable anyone responsible for the January 6th Capitol attack. Our work yesterday marked significant successes, and uh, this is obviously going to cause some concern for those loudmouth fucks sitting in Congress, Jenny Thomas, Roger Stone, and yes, Donald Trump. This precedent has been set, 
And uh, it's reasonable to think that anybody connected with these people, at the very least, will be indicted for obstruction and very possibly con uh, seditious conspiracy, which will be a big deal when these named people start getting indicted. And we know that's coming. Now, on Wednesday on CNN, former FBI Director Andrew McCade, he, he was talking about Attorney General Merrick Garland's speech. And in the wake of the top Oath Keeper's conviction for seditious conspiracy, uh, he says, just as I said, is a direct message to other people who were involved in carrying out organizing or inciting the attack. We know Donald Trump, at the very least, incited the attack. We know that sitting members of Congress, Stone and Thomas, were involved in organizing. And McCabe just flat out said one of those people could be former President Donald Trump. Now, Donnie's a little nervous as it is, so he's got to be shitting his diaper at this point. Um. So the anchor of the show said, let me ask you about what we saw in the trial. Do you think the events of the last 24 hours have changed the calculation for the Justice Department in terms of whether or not to prosecute the former president since they were able to secure this conviction? Now, McCabe said no question in a couple of ways. The comments about the Oath Keeper verdict by the AG is a little more than just a chest-pounding session. He's sending a message to attorneys representing the other Oath Keepers whose trial is coming up and the Proud Boys and whoever might be in the wings later that we can do this. We can put on these complicated, high-stakes political cases and get verdicts. Rethink whether you want to cooperate or not. Provide evidence and seek an easier path. And, and, and we, know, um, we know that's the strategy when you come to the DOJ. Start at the bottom, work your way up, try to get people to plead out and cooperate so you can get the people at the top. Well, we're pretty close to the top right now. And they probably held off going after members of Congress and the side people in Donald Trump because of the election. Well, they've ramped this up now. And the fact that they won this case for seditious conspiracy has got to make them pretty emboldened at this point. And McCabe said, I think that's a, it's a very loud message to those folks who were in leadership positions who may be looking at for their role in organizing and instigating the attack. And first and foremost among those is, of course, the former president. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that we're going to forget about the sitting members of Congress, Paul Gozar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, any of those fucks. Remember, we had seven of those people sitting in Congress that begged Donald Trump for a pardon. So not only are they guilty, they know they're fucking guilty. That's why they were begging uh, for a pardon. Now, there are top members of the far-right group Proud Boys who are also scheduled to stand trial for seditious conspiracy, with one leader already pleading guilty. You remember that. One of the leaders said, yeah, fuck it, I'll, I'll plead guilty. I'll talk. Meanwhile, the former president is in the crosshairs of multiple federal investigations, which are folded up into the purview of newly appointed special counsel. See, Donald Trump is getting put in a corner. This January 6th thing with a seditious conspiracy, but it's not just there. We have Jack Smith on the job. And he is looking into the January 6th insurrection and the top secret documents. We've got Letitia James in New York carrying the uh, carrying on with the uh, civil case. We've got the Manhattan District who is currently prosecuting the Trump Organization for criminal fraud charges. We have the same Manhattan District also looking at uh, revisiting the uh, Stormy Daniels issue. You remember Michael Cohen 
was found guilty, and Michael Cohen was just working for Donald Trump. In that case, he was the unindicted co-conspirator. They said he was a co-conspirator. Now he's no longer president, so they're looking at that. And I have to think that Alvin Bragg in the Manhattan District, after all we're seeing with uh, the prosecution of his company and the civil suit down with Letitia James, he's got to start looking at the possibility of indicting Donald Trump, too. So shit is starting to fall apart for Donald Trump. And, you know, the thing about it is people keep saying nothing's happening to Donald Trump. That is absolute bullshit. Donald Trump's life is falling a fucking part right now. He can't get out of this. And you can tell that by his true social posts. He's freaking out. He's saying crazy stuff. He's trying to attack Jack Smith and discredit him, but that's not working. He's trying to discredit his wife, and that's not working. But that's a standard ploy with Donald Trump. He always tries to discount anybody that's speaking badly of him. And that can be somebody as powerful as Jack Smith or or some weak-ass congressman that uh, says something negative about Donald Trump. He doesn't know how to react or deal with anything other than attacking back. And for many years, that worked for him when he was in business and while he was president. But now it's a much different situation. He's always had more power, more money than anybody he was attacking. That's why he could delay. That's why he could run out the clock on construction companies and that sort of stuff. But now he's up against the government, the DOJ. He can't run out the clock against him. And hopefully by now he's starting to realize that. I have to wonder what's going to happen with Donald Trump, how he's going to react normally with narcissists. When they get in this position, when they're finally getting ready to crash, they can tend to get violent. They tend to get loud and unhinged, which is what he's doing. And ultimately, with narcissists, when they get cornered and their normal strategies no longer work, they're bullies, so they're cowards, so they fucking bolt. They run. Now, it's going to be a different situation for Donald Trump. He's got no place to run short of Russia or Saudi Arabia. He can probably run there uh, and not be extradited. But Donald Trump's too high profile. It's not like he can just disappear. So he fucked around and found out. And it's not going to end well. So those people out there that continually say to me, nothing's happening to Donald Trump, fuck you. If that's what you really think, if that's what you really believe, you aren't fucking paying attention. Why don't you read? The world is falling apart around Donald Trump. People will say, well, I'm not going to be happy unless he's handcuffed and put in jail. Okay. That sounds like a child, but... You know, if you want to go with that, that's up to you. I'd rather see this drag out a little bit. Make this narcissist suffer. And I can tell you right now, he is fucking suffering. There is no question about it. This motherfucker is suffering. He is scared. He's seeing people that would normally support him peel away from him. The few people that stand by him have no power, have no money, have no position. It's just a bunch of redneck, toothless motherfucks that continue to believe that Donald Trump is their Lord and Savior. And in the real scheme of things, they don't fucking matter. They're inconsequential. They're not a big enough of group to do anything, and they're not bright enough to pull anything off. I mean, Donald Trump's own kids are trying to stand back from him. But as you'll find out later in the podcast, I have another uh, story that I wanted to talk about that kind of reiterates something I've always said. And uh, it is that there are people that stood with Donald Trump too long, even though they might be stepping back now. That stink, that stain is going to be on them for eternity. They'll never be forgiven for standing next to Donald Trump, especially if he happens to be indicted for something like the espionage 
clause or or um, the Presidential Records Act or inciting an insurrection, they won't be able to get far enough away from them. The Democrats and some Republicans who never stood with Donald Trump will never let them forget. It will end their careers. And good riddance, you know, if we can get rid of the likes of Josh Hawley, Paul Gozar, Louis Gohmert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and make sure that they never run for any election ever again, well, that's a win for us. If they happen to be indicted and go to jail, even fucking better. And all of that is real possibilities at this point. This is likely to happen. Politicians, especially a president, have always been kind of hands-off. You don't mess with them. It's too political. But what they did and what's going on in this country is too far over the line. If they don't go after these people, if they don't indict these people, then it's going to pose more problems for the DOJ, for Georgia, for New York. It's going to pose more problems because then it's going to look like they've been treated uh, with a preference, you know. So the heat that those people will get for not indicting him will be far more problematic than the heat they might get for appearing to be political. I think Merrick Garland has done everything he can to fend off the appearance of looking political. He waited till after the midterms. He hired a special counsel who was independent and letting him handle it. He's taken every precaution he can. And I think now the time has come, you know. Something has to do happen. Something has to break free. And I think it will sometime very soon, probably before the end of the year. So I'm thinking in the next month. Now, everything that's going to happen to Donald Trump won't happen before the end of the year, but something will happen. Something will happen. And I think it's important because once we get an indictment, that is going to take Donald Trump out of the equation. It will shut him up for the most part. But it will also discredit him. And the people that still follow him will be hard-pressed to continue to follow him if he's been indicted for espionage or something else and the, and the uh, evidence is laid bare. That's something else we're going to talk about on this podcast. That's an interesting development with the January 6th committee. But first, we're going to take a break and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Once again, presumptuous Kevin McCarthy, acting like he's already Speaker of the House. (laughs) But he can't get 218 votes to get elected to be Speaker of the House. So he's talking some shit, even though he doesn't have the power yet, even though the Republicans haven't taken over. But this House Minority Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, wrote an angry letter to Representative Benny Thompson. He is the chairman of the U.S. Select Committee on the January 6th attack. And Kevin McCarthy reminded him, I don't think he needed to do that. Kevin McCarthy reminded him that uh, his role will end on January 3rd, and it is imperative that all information collected be preserved. The California Republican congressman had a dramatically different position on Donald Trump's unlawful retention of well over 10,000 items from the White House, including at least 300 documents with classified markings, including some classified at the highest levels. McCarthy is, of course, running to be the Speaker of the House, but he's got a lot of opposition. He can't get 218 votes. But, as I say, he's a little presumptuous, and he says, I'm going to be the boss, and I'm going to tell you what to fucking do. (laughs) Good luck with that, motherfucker. His letter 
angry and accusatory in tone also strongly suggest Republicans will hold their own hearings on January 6th attack on the Capitol and on democracy, but with a vastly different focus. (laughs) Well, you do that. I mean, there's fucking video of this shit. We all sat in our homes and watched this. Don't believe what your lying eyes see. Believe what we tell you. Well, you motherfuckers have been known to be pathological liars, so no, we're not going to do that. Um, uh, McCarthy's letter begins, The American people chose Republicans to lead the 118th Congress. Yeah, just barely. And you should have got 50 seats, but you got maybe two or three, so don't get all cocky and shit. On January 3rd, 2023, your work as chairman of the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will come to an end, (laughs) McCarthy told Thompson in the letter. McCarthy continued with his angry attack. Oh, he is mad. He's madder than a wet hen. It's clear, based on recent news reports, that even your own members and staff of the committee have no visibility into the totality of the investigation. Some reports suggest the entire swaths of findings will be left out of the committee's final report. You have spent a year and a half and millions of taxpayer dollars conducting this investigation. Now keep in mind, House Republicans, including McCarthy, literally spent millions of dollars on six Benghazi investigations. And the last one, which McCarthy admitted was designed to harm former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's presidential aspirations. They had absolutely nothing on Hillary Clinton. She testified for 11 hours. Donald Trump testified for what? Oh, fucking zero hours. And they found nothing. Well, the fact of the matter is the January 6th committee has found a lot. Everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, but we put together a Benghazi special committee, a select committee. What are her numbers today? Her numbers are dropping, McCarthy bragged in 2015. Yeah, but you didn't find anything. You got zero fucking indictments. Now, Unlike his defense of ex-President Donald Trump's unlawfully removing and retaining Mar-a-Lago approximately 1,300 items belonging to the National Archives, McCarthy warned Thompson the committee's work does not belong to the chairman. (laughs) You're going to love what Benny Thompson said. It is imperative that all information collected be preserved, not just for institutional prerogatives, but for transparency to the American people. Oh, McCarthy's all about transparency. Then he's really going to like what Benny Thompson has planned. The official congressional records do not belong to you or any member, but the American people. Good point, Kev. And they are old all the information you gather, not merely the information that comports with your political agenda. That's actually false. Okay. Now, Kevin's all head up about this. He wants those documents uh, turned over to him. And presumably, if he got those documents turned over to him, well, then he'd probably hide some of the shit and not report it. <laughs> but Benny Thompson and the January 6th 6, 6, uh, committee is going to do just that and turn it over to the uh, J6 committee or to the uh, Republicans. But what they're also going to do is publish all the evidence to the general public. So you have to believe that Kevin McCarthy would be happy about this. The people need to know, right? All right, just release all the evidence to the media, to anybody who fucking wants it, PDF after PDF, all the evidence laid bare for the country to see for themselves. Now, this is going to piss off Kevin McCarthy because he really doesn't want the people to see it. He wants the Republicans to see it, and then they can come up with angles and stuff to suggest it's not real and discount it, you know, like William Barr did with the Mueller report. That's what they want to do. 
But Benny Thompson's a little smarter than Kevin McCarthy. See, Kevin McCarthy is only the the minority leader at this point. Benny Thompson is the chairman of the J6 committee. He can act like a tough guy, but we don't know that he's even going to be Speaker of the House. Who knows who it's going to be? These guys might have to fuck around a month before they even get a Speaker of the House. But he wants all the documents. He wants them preserved. I want them on my desk. Fuck you. You can get them just like anybody can get them. From websites, from the TV news, anywhere, any place, y'all can get it. Now that brings us to another guy who wants all the transcripts. The Justice Department is seeking access to all transcripts and other evidence collected in the House investigation, the January 6th investigation. Attorney General Merrick Garland said that on Wednesday. We want all the transcripts. Now, the comments from Garland in response to a question from CNN's Evan Perez, I think it was, nodded to the months-long effort by the department to access the witness testimony the House Select Committee took behind closed doors. We would like to have all the transcripts and all the other evidence collected by the committee so we can use it in the ordinary course of our investigations. We are asking for access for all the transcripts, and that's really all I can say right now. And, of course, Garland brought up his victories with the Oath Keepers and and, uh, the seditious conspiracy and how that's going to affect things. But then I saw Adam Schiff when he heard that question. The Somebody on MSNBC asked him, Merrick Garland wants all these transcripts, and uh, they want you to turn it over to them. Are you going to do that? Now, Schiff kind of smirked at that, because after hearing about what he said to Kevin McCarthy, uh, Benny Thompson, I knew what was coming here. They said, are you going to turn them over to the, the, the DOJ? Well, you said, yeah, of course. But we're turning them over to everybody. The DOJ can get them from the, 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 the postings, the websites. The, the, it, it, have them come by. And when we're done, you can pick all this shit up and take it with you. Anybody can. And then Schiff said something very interesting. He said, what I don't understand is, Why does the DOJ need them? Why doesn't the DOJ already have this shit, the depositions? Meaning they should be the one taking the lead on the investigation. Uh, Congressional committee shouldn't be the lead investigators and then hand off their work to the DOJ. I mean, they're going to be happy to do that because they're going to turn it over to everybody. But why isn't the DOJ caught up with these guys? That's a good question. Why indeed? Now, Schiff did say, we want the DOJ to do their work. We want them to be successful. So we'll make sure they have them. But the fact of the matter is, everybody's going to fucking have them anyway. So it's, it's not a big deal. And I, I love that they chose to do this because... It really sticks a finger in the eye of Kevin McCarthy. I don't think he was counting on that. And when Benny Thompson and the J6 committee exposes all this shit, they're going to have a problem. They're not going to be able to spin this. They're not going to be able to divert. This evidence is going to make big news day after day after day. And... And they aren't going to be able to shut it down. And <laughs> I just I just love this for the J6 committee. And I love Kevin having a bad day every day. He doesn't even know if he's got enough votes for Speaker of the House. He makes this tough guy demand to Benny Thompson. And Benny says, fuck yourself. We're going to give them to everybody. You said you wanted the general public to know what really went on. You want transparency. Well, what could be more transparent than the J6 committee putting it out there for the fucking public? (laughs) I am loving this. 
Now, speaking to reporters, Garland said that he met with Jack Smith, the war crimes prosecutor who was recently appointed. Um, and you can tell that they're pretty much focused on Donald Trump. And he was asked about the process for deciding on Smith for this role. And Garland told reporters, in the course of deciding on Mr. Smith as special counsel, I did meet with him. He has been meeting with members of this team to get up to speed. Garland noted that Smith has signed the legal briefs that have been filed since the appointment with the DOJ's appeal of an order requiring a special master to review materials seized at Mar-a-Lago. That special master will probably get thrown out. He promised to the American people in his own statement that he would be no, there would be no pause or hiccup in his work, and I understand that is exactly what's going on. Smith's appointment signaled that the probe was now looking more deeply into the conduct of Trump. This is becoming laser-focused on Donald Trump. And part of the reason for that is because he declared his candidacy for president in 2024. I think they I think they look at that as kind of a threat, you know. If this guy is truly guilty of the things we know he's guilty of, this is a threat to this country. This is a threat to our political pro, uh, progress. Now, it's interesting. The DOJ as much as as uh, Adam Schiff was suggesting they weren't doing enough. They are doing some things. And this one, I'm glad we finally got to. If there's one evil motherfucker in the Trump administration, and there's probably many, it is Stephen Miller. Now, I don't understand this Stephen Miller. It, it says a lot about who Donald Trump hires. Here's a guy probably in his 30s, not very accomplished. He's creepy as fuck. He's racist. He's misogynistic. He's anti-Semite. And he is Donald Trump's closest advisor. Well, they forced Stephen Miller to testify on Tuesday to a federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. as part of the January 6, 2021 investigation. You notice how we didn't see much kickback there. Now, Miller's not stupid. He's evil, but he's not stupid. So I think the pressure is on him pretty substantially. I think he believes he's going to need some, some help when it comes to maybe his own personal indictment. So he did testify in front of the grand jury in D.C. Now, Miller is the first known witness to testify since the Justice Department appointed a special counsel, Jack Smith, to investigate Trump and his accomplishments. Oh, I would love to see that. Stephen Miller, Mr. Smartass, Mr. Tough Guy, sitting there while Jack Smith drills this motherfucker. Miller was first subpoenaed in the federal criminal investigation months ago. In April, he testified virtually for roughly eight hours before the January 6th committee, whose investigation remains a separate probe from the criminal one being conducted by DOJ, of course. Now, Miller testified for several hours on Tuesday, according to CNN. Um... Thomas Wyndham was also spotted in the same federal courthouse. Wyndham is expected to join the newly created special counsel's office, led by longtime public corruption prosecutor Jack Smith, of course. Uh, so he's bringing people on to, to help him out. Now, the interesting thing about Miller, by testifying by video um, in front of the J6 committee, I have a feeling that when the J6 committee makes their next presentation, uh, Mr. Miller might play a uh, starring role, assuming he answered the questions. Now, clearly he could have just pled the fifth. I don't think he did. I mean, if he testified for eight hours, that's a long time to be pleading the fifth. I'd be surprised if he didn't give some things up. I mean, the guy's a kid. He's in his 30s. 
This guy could go to jail for a long time for his part in the Trump administration. There's going to be a lot of people at risk of going to jail for a long time in the Trump administration. They've got two choices, stay loyal to uh, and, and stand on a sinking ship or save their asses. Now, you look at Stephen Miller. He's not the kind of guy that looks loyal. He's the kind of guy that looks like he's going to try to save his ass, and let's hope that's true. And if he is, we're going to find that out in the next report by the J6 committee. We won't see what he did with a grand jury in the DOJ because that's secret. But we will see the end results of it when the indictments start to pop. Now, something that uh, is kind of historic happened in uh, the House of Representatives. House Democrats on Wednesday elected Representative Hakeem Jeffries of New York to head the party next year, making a generational shift of after 20 years under the reign of Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi's giving up and retiring from her leadership role, but she's continuing to be a rep in the House of Representatives. This makes Jeffries the first black figure to lead either party in Congress in the nation history. The first person of color to be a leader of either party, not just Republicans, but Democrats too. I don't know about you, but that seems fucked up. I mean, this is 2022, for God's sake. We had the civil rights movement in the fucking 60s. We have not progressed that far from the 60s, or so it would seem. Especially now with all these racist motherfuckers out (coughs) flapping their lips. Now, there was really no surprise to this after Pelosi and her top deputies announced earlier in the month that they would step out of leadership. Um, Jeffries uh, was the first name that came out. And I'll be honest, Hakeem Jeffries is very intelligent. He's very articulate. And uh, he's not afraid. He's not afraid. This is a good guy. If I was going to pick a leader for the Democrats, he would be first on my list. He's experienced. He's smart. And he's tough. And that's exactly what the Democrats need. And I'm hoping that since we're getting this generational switch or flip or whatever you want to call it, I hope that means that the Democrats are going to be a little different party going forward. I mean, we know the Democrats have always been kind of turned the other cheek and being kind of weak and getting run over. I don't think Hakeem's going to stand for that shit. I don't think that he is going to allow that to happen, especially if his party gets control back in the House. Now, Pelosi said together, this new generation of leaders reflects the vibrancy and diversity of our great nation. They will reinvigorate our caucus with their new energy, ideas, and perspectives. Now, Jeffries, for his part, insists he hasn't had much time to reflect on the historic significance of this new leadership role, saying he's focused instead on the Democrats' transition to the minority and the solemn responsibility he's about to assume. He said the best thing that we can do as a result of the seriousness and solemnity of the moment is lean in hard and do the best damn job that we can for the people, he told a small group of reporters on Capitol Hill. Now, some of the other Democrats aren't quite being so modest, and I like this, particularly those in the Black Caucus, where Jeffrey's rise is being cheered as another major milestone in the long, hard fight of civil rights. Fifty years after the fact. Maxine Waters said, as an African-American, it sends a message out to this country that it's time for real diversity and inclusion. And there are so many people of color who are capable and competent and can lead. And I agree. The color of their skin should have no bearing on who can be a leader. I mean, Benny Thompson is leading the J6 committee and doing a hell of a job. Now, Maxine Waters, a 32-year veteran, highly influential member of the Black Caucus. And what I really like about her more than anything is that the Republicans fucking hate her. They hate women with power. 
and they really hate women of color with power. So if this bugs them, I'm all for it. She said, this will be a great image for people of color and for black people and little black boys to be able to aspire to a position as high as that. And that, you know, that's that's really what it's about. All these years, people of color have fought for position, and they've gotten someplace with it. I mean, there has been some progress, but not nearly as much progress as you would think. We're talking about the 60s. Now we're in the 2020s. We're talking 50, 60 years to get this far. And to me, that seems fucking ridiculous. It seems absolutely fucking ridiculous. All right, I want to talk about something here that uh, we've been talking about for months and months and months. And people have been saying, what the fuck's going on with Matt Gates?" We still don't know what's going on with Matt Gates. We know that former Seminole County tax collector Joel Greenberg is the uh, the guy that was involved in the sex trafficking, among other things, and that he's buddies with Matt Gates, and he's presumably throwing Matt Gates and maybe some other political figures in Florida under the bus. But Joel Greenberg will finally face a judge this Thursday to be sentenced on federal charges that include child sex trafficking and aggravated identity theft, charges that prosecutors say deserve a guideline prison term of 9.25 to 11 years. Now, he was let off a bunch of stuff. There was a bunch of stuff that he got away with because presumably he gave out information. Now, Greenberg's attorney argued that his client deserves a more lenient sentence because he has provided assistance to investigators on other criminal cases. Now, this, I was happy to hear this because somebody needed to say this. U.S. District Judge Gregory Presnell indicated the federal guideline sentence may not adequately punish Greenberg for his extensive and unrelated crimes, including stalking a political rival, defrauding the Small Business Administration in a COVID-19 relief scheme, defrauding Seminole County by running a personal uh, cryptocurrency business. He's done a lot of shit. And this judge called out the government and said, why is this taking so fucking long? There's no reason it should take this fucking long. And I don't know that the government had any answer, but it really makes you wonder about this whole case here. He kept getting delays and delays and delays because presumably he was giving more information. So when do we see the results of this information? And if they garnered nothing from him, then why should he cut a deal? Why should he get a deal? There's something fucked up going on with this case. And he's going to go up and get sentenced finally on Thursday. And we would all presume that once he gets sentenced and the deal is done and it's set, the other indictments can fall too, meaning Matt Gates and whoever else might be involved. I still have this feeling that Ron DeSantis has some connection to this whole shit, and wouldn't that be fucking wonderful? Now, did Joel Greenberg get this delay because he has people of influence behind him, like a Matt Gates, like a Ron DeSantis? Is that why they allowed it to be delayed? Ron DeSantis, if he's involved, and I'm not saying he is. But they do talk about other political figures, powerful political figures in Florida that may be involved in this child sex trafficking. The only reason I bring up Ron DeSantis is because there's a number of pictures that show Greenberg, Matt Gates, and Ron DeSantis. Clearly they know each other. And let's be perfectly honest, Ron DeSantis is a piece of shit. So the idea that he might be involved in child sex trafficking isn't out of the realm of possibility. So anyway, Thursday, today, 
we're supposed to hear what he's going to get. Joel Greenberg, you know, he could get, according to this, up to 11 years. We'll see what happens. But I'm more interested in seeing what happens after he gets sentenced, because that should open things up for any other indictments that would come out of this. And frankly, if there are no other indictments that come out of this, then he shouldn't get a fucking deal. He was there to provide information and evidence on other people. And if they don't go after any other people like a Matt Gates or whoever else, then he shouldn't get a fucking deal. But we know that's not how the government fucking works. So I'll be watching that. I'm anxious to see what happens, what he's going to get. We've got a rough idea what he's going to get. But again, the real thing is what's going to happen afterwards. We're going to wrap things up with the Rational Boomer podcast in a moment. But first, I wanted to talk about this because this pretty much reiterates something I've been saying all along. And it's coming from somebody who should know. Somebody with a little more authority and a little more uh, position than I have. Former chairman of the Republican National Committee, the RNC. The very same role that Mike Lindell is running for. This is Michael Steele. He tore into the party he once led in a discussion on MSNBC on Wednesday and argued the GOP doesn't get to move on from Trumpism so quickly. Now, MSNBC host Joy Reid introduced the segment by saying, The story is that creeping white nationalism that has infected the party, that all of these people support the party, has invited hate and fear of fellow Americans as guests to Thanksgiving dinner, referring to Donald Trump and the fucking neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes. And until they kick this ideology out and not just slap Trump around a little bit because he lost them elections, I mean, kick them out. All the prosecutions in the world won't make any difference. Now, she brings in Michael Steele. And, um, of course, Michael Steele does a podcast, too. I've listened to it here and there, not a lot. A Michael Steele podcast. Almost as creative as Rational Boomer Podcast, but I'm sure he's got a lot of listeners. And uh, Jason Stanley, a professor of philosophy at Yale University and author of How Fascism Works. And Joy Reid says, I want to start with you, Michael, because you used to be in charge of this party. So you know what it means when the creep begins and the creep began with the Tea Party and you had to wrestle with it but you actually are somebody with integrity and with a mind of your own, Kevin McCarthy, as somebody who's got to now steer the ship. Let me just play what what who his new boss is. And what she's trying to say is that for whatever reason, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be running things because she's the loudest, most obnoxious, this is um, Marjorie Taylor Greene at Nick Fuentes's event. So if Nick Fuentes is untouchable, well, she touched. Here she is, Reed continued, before playing a clip from February of this year. This year. She said, do you know what it's like to be canceled? And that's why I'm here to talk to you tonight. I don't believe anyone should be canceled. I don't believe in separating people and identities. I don't believe in separating people in classes. And that's what the Democrats believe in. Because that's what Marxism is. She doesn't even know what the fuck Marxism is. That's what communism is. And again, she doesn't understand communism. Representative Green said that addressing Fuentes's White National Conference. Less than a year ago, she was dealing with that. Now she comes out and discredits Nick Fuentes because it's the thing to do now. She was speaking at his event, and now she's speaking against him because that's the politically expedient thing for her to do. And Michael Steele basically came out and said, nah, 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 nah. You can't back away from it. You can't wipe the stain off of you. It's there on you, and it will be there for eternity, like I've said. 
You know, it's one thing to support somebody who does something a little off in the Republican Party and say, you know what, I thought about it. I don't believe that anymore. I'm stepping away. Maybe you can get away with that. But when we're talking about insurrection, when we're talking about racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, Nazis, and that sort of shit, Michael Steele said you can't just walk away from that. That's going to stick with you. And uh, I couldn't agree more. And it's important for we as a people to ensure they don't get to walk away from it. They're going to try, but they waited too long. Now, there are some people that stepped away from Donald Trump much earlier, and they might get a little, a little play in this whole thing. But these people, especially somebody as fucking abhorrent as Marjorie Taylor Greene, is going to be stuck with this stigma for the rest of her life. They always talk about, we don't believe in cancel culture. Well, let's understand what cancel culture is. Cancel culture is ultimately just public opinion. And unfortunately, you can't control public opinion. You do fucked up shit, people think you're fucked up. The only protection against cancel culture is you not doing fucked up shit. It's simple as that. So to say, we got to stop cancel culture, how are you going to do that? It's about public opinion. Are you going to tell the media not to report the news? No, you can't do that. Freedom of the press, remember? First Amendment. And then are you going to tell people we can't feel badly about these people even though you've just been told about the heinous shit that they did? Well, you're not going to stop the general public from having an opinion on anything. They love to scream about cancel culture, but the only fix to cancel culture don't do fucked up shit. And that's where the problem lies with the Republican Party. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time listening. I hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.